Good morning. Is there something going on I don't know about back here? Uh, oh, throw them away. I got you. <laughs> Have you ever had your hopes up and then they get deflated and destroyed? I certainly have numerous times. Most of us have. It's devastating. It uh, can be pretty depressing. And it's in those times that you wonder about a lot of things, including the future. Is it possible to have hope again? Do you even want to hope again? Because it hurts so bad when it's destroyed. If you have had your hope destroyed, then no, you're not alone. You know that. And actually, the Word of God, the story of God has something to say about this. It has a lot to say about it. And so uh, hang with me for a few minutes and we'll see if we can find some hope for all of us, especially if you're feeling hopeless this morning. So let's pray. Father, uh, you are the God of hope, the source of hope, and you provide a living hope uh, through Jesus. Help us today to hear you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friday's crucifixion was absolutely devastating. Hopes and dreams were put to death, literally. And can you imagine waking up on Saturday morning and uh, just wondering, did that really happen? And then, and then you start reliving it and you remember the, the terrible, unjust trial you remember um, the the mocking you remember the beating people spat in the face of Jesus you remember the inhumanity the cruelty and the injustice of it all hope hope was crucified on Friday and now Saturday has come and deep deep uh, depression and despair settling into hearts where hope once lived. And then you wake up Sunday morning, still confused, still hurting, still wondering, how did that happen? What went wrong? Some women decide to go to the tomb to make things better. They arrive as the sun rises, and they are absolutely stunned because they see the stone has been rolled away, the tomb is open, and it's empty. It's empty. Suddenly a bright light shines with an angelic announcement. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. The women, afraid but filled with joy, rush back to the men telling the men what had happened. The men are skeptical, to say the least. But Peter and John get up, and they literally run to the empty tomb. And they find it empty. They find it open. And they don't see Jesus anywhere. And Peter, whose hopes had been destroyed by his own poor choices, is now confused and he's wondering, what in the world? What in the world? 
That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. They were in deep conversation, going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they did not recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They stood there, long-faced, like they'd lost their best friend. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened in the last few days? He said, well, what's happened? The things that happened to Jesus and Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by God and, and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And now it's the third day since it happened. But now, some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as woman, the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen? That the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory. Then he started at the beginning, at the book of Moses, and went through all the prophets, pointing out everything in scripture that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going to go on. But they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them. And here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking bread. He blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road? As he opened up the scriptures for us. They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem in the dark. They found the eleven and their friends gathered together just talking away. It's really happened. The master's been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that had happened to them on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. Abraham Lincoln died on April 15th, 1865, nine hours after being shot by John Wilkes Booth in the Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., Eight days later, on April 23rd, 1865, Philip Brooks of the Holy Trinity Church in Boston 
stood up to preach. He was devastated by Lincoln's death. He essentially said, I, I just can't do it today. He and everyone else, indeed the whole country, was trying to make sense of a senseless act of violence that suddenly changed a lot of hope into a lot of fear. All kinds of fear. The fear, the grief, the uncertainty were deep. Shortly after Lincoln's death, Brooks went on a year-long journey, a sabbatical, seeking healing and peace, striving to exchange his fears for hope again. A few months into his sabbatical, on Christmas Eve, he was in Jerusalem, and as darkness was descending, Brooks mounted a horse and rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is only about five miles. He made his way through the fields where the shepherds so long ago had tended their flock. It was peaceful. It was silent. It was profoundly moving. It was that night and the unforgettable experience of that night that inspired Brooks later to write, O Little Town of Bethlehem, as he imagines Christ's entry into this dark world of fear and uncertainty. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I, I am so struck by that last line the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight what do you think that means what does that mean what does it mean to you what does it mean to to Cleopas and his companion which may have been his wife what does it mean to people walking the hopeless confused road to Emmaus Probably could mean a lot of things, but I believe Brooks has in mind that Jesus, born in Bethlehem, can take our fear and turn it into hope. The hopes and fears of all the years meet in Jesus. Jesus can take our fear and turn it into hope. What's your greatest fear? If we could sit down and, and just have an honest conversation, what would you tell me? What would I tell you? What's my greatest fear? Probably most of us, if we think about it, have some fear about our country and how divided it is. And It's not unlike the days of Lincoln, really. The chaos of, of confused and conflicted culture just provides an anxious backdrop for our own personal fears. What's your greatest fear? I did some research uh, a while back and did some reading, did some just some asking people, what's your greatest fear? Some of the things that people came up with are probably things that you understand and identify with. The fear of the unknown. I just don't know what's going to happen. That can be triggered by the death of a spouse or loss of job, anything. I just don't know what's going to happen. Fear of unknown, fear of the loss of independence. 
um, fear of failure, rejection, just being alone. If people really knew me, they would not want anything to do with me. Fear of being found out, I guess. Fear of irrelevance, insignificance, not enough. I have nothing of value to offer. A lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel that way. A fear of not pleasing God, a fear of uh, not getting to heaven, or maybe some of my loved ones not making it because of the way they're living right now. The biggie, I think, is the fear of death. And, and if, if you look at all these things, aren't they all really tied to that? the fear of death because if you think about the unknown that's related to death and it's always hanging over us we're moving toward death and so there's what some people call the existential angst or existential dread it's just like this life is going to end and so it's always hanging over and, and we realize that we're not independent we are very dependent that we have really hardly any control over this life. Death illustrates that um, our significance, our influence is temporary and it places us in the presence of God where we face judgment. As the writer of Hebrews considers the incarnation of Jesus, he takes, he takes us to our greatest fear As he considers Jesus becoming human, he gets right at what we're concerned about. He says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Are you afraid of dying? I, I said at 9.30, I used to stand up and preach and say, oh, I'm not afraid to die. But now that I'm older, I'm not so sure. <laughs> it's like, oh. I worked in hospice years ago in several different capacities. One of them was a chaplain. And so I would meet with people who are dying and just you openly talk about it, right? And so... People who had strong faith would say uh, things like, I'm not afraid to be dead. It's just getting there that I'm concerned about because I've, I've never done it before. And I think that some of the fear, I guess, you would say about death is we just don't know what it's like, even though we have trust in Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus identifies with us becoming like us, becoming one of us, so he can destroy our fear of death by taking away our sin and by overcoming death through his resurrection. And he tells us, you can do the same. You remember when Jesus shows up in the little village of Bethany, Lazarus has died, Mary and Martha are there, and Martha meets Jesus at the edge of town and says, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know what his response is? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And so faith in Jesus, faith in his death, burial, and resurrection creates a living hope for us, a hope that's alive, a hope that's active, a hope that is life-giving. Peter, who knows all about dreams and hopes being destroyed, writes a lot about hope 
in 1 Peter, he says this, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. He's basically saying no matter what happens in this life, no matter what you go through, there's a good ending. There's a good ending. Don't ever lose sight of that, I think he's saying. It provides a living hope in this dark world. Well, some might say, well, that sounds great, but I don't understand how it works. Uh, you don't understand how, how fearful I am. You don't understand the anxiety. It just consumes me. And I would say, well, you're not alone. Know that. And as we try to unpack that, then the key for exchanging fear to hope is faith in Jesus. Take some faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By faith, we believe, the essence of which is trusting. We, we trust that Jesus has the power to take away my fear and anxiety and turn it into hope. We've been given resurrection power. And hope is not wishful thinking. Rather, hope is the confident expectation based on God's promises, the assurance of his promises that everything ultimately is going to be okay because of our relationship with Jesus. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the source of joy peace and confidence because we have been given the resurrection power. So Jesus can take our fear and turn it into hope. So what does it look like? Let's go back over some of the things we just talked about that are people's fears. And so we, we look at what they are and then we say, well, what's the counter? What's the, what's the voice of God in that? And so we say, uh, concerned about the unknown. How about this? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, and I will trust him. I will trust him in those things. I'm concerned about losing independence. Newsflash, you don't have any. <laughs> you can't manufacture the breath of life. I, we're dependent on God for the next breath. And so it's just a shift in thinking that, okay, yeah, I really am dependent, so I need to, to trust him more. I'm concerned about failure, rejection, irrelevance, if people knew me, blah, blah, blah. Think about this. God has adopted us as his children. The creator of the universe has said, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved children. What, what greater significance and relevance is that? That's, that's, that's what we need to grasp. I'm afraid about not pleasing God. His grace is sufficient. I'm afraid I won't get to heaven. I'm afraid my family won't. And I must confess that's my greatest fear. Sometimes it's about some in my family. It's like, and so when I have those moments, I just trust that God is working and that we'll be okay. So trust, obey, and pray. I'm afraid of death. Well, Jesus rose from the dead. And he says that I will too, that I will too. So let me offer three practical steps rooted in faith for us to allow Jesus, to cooperate with Jesus, to take our fear and turn it into hope. The first thing is, is to name it, to say, 
God, I'm, I'm concerned some of my children. Floor all the options in that. That just leads to more problems. But just say, this is the thing that I'm concerned about. This is the thing I worry about. I'm fearful. Acknowledge it. Name it. Package it. And then confess it to God and maybe to a few trusted friends. And then you literally ask God, please take this fear from me. Help me to trust you more. Help me to have hope in return. And I I promise you it works for me. And I have to do it about every day, uh, it seems. In January, I'm going to teach an eight-week course back here uh, that's going to help us really unpack this idea of rethinking things, changing our thinking. And so I taught it in Bloomington earlier this year, looking forward to it because it just dives into how the mind works, how God works, how Satan works, and how you work, and how we we can really change the way we think, which changes the course of our life. And so I hope you'll consider coming to that. You know, those two that were walking the hopeless road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his companion, they said, we had our hopes up. We had our hopes up. They said that in the context of having their hopes destroyed. And so now there's confusion. Now there's fear. Fear of the unknown. But their hope was renewed by Jesus... As Jesus, unrecognized by them at the time, was walking with them and talking with them about Scripture. And this sets the table, so to speak, for them to really recognize him. And as they sat at the table, Jesus takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to them. It was then in communion that they recognize him. And I wonder about that. Did, did they see, did his sleeve slip up a little bit? Did they see the, the nail hole in his hand? Or was it something more mysterious? Whatever it was, they saw him. They recognized him. And their fears were turned into hope again. So maybe... Maybe you're walking a hopeless road this morning, a road of confusion. Maybe your hopes have been destroyed by somebody. Or maybe you destroyed him yourself with your own foolish actions. I've done that. Maybe your deepest fears are unfolding right around you. Maybe your own mortality is creating fear and anxiety. But, but think about this. Maybe Jesus is walking with you and you don't even know. Maybe he's there, and you just can't see him. As we commune with Jesus this morning, be reminded that he came into the world to save you and not condemn you, and that he loves you. He came to change our fears into hope, a living hope, a a hope that's alive, a hope that allows us to live with peace, joy, and confidence. Hear these words from Romans 15. I pray that God... The source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Let's pray. God, thank you for being the source of hope. As we uh, prepare to commune this morning, help us to remember what, what Jesus has done, his death, burial, and resurrection, and how we identified with that in our baptism, reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection, being raised to live a new life, to receive your spirit who provides us with hope. So God, help us to latch on to the hope, to give up the fear, and to trust you in all things. We thank you for this bread. We thank you for this juice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.